In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing this show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions. And none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Welcome to the Perspectrum. I'm Nathan Seelove. And I'm Jess Seelove, who is the new Michael Bloom. <laughs> yep, so uh, Michael had a really busy week, so uh, Jess here was kind enough to come in and fill in for him. So thanks a lot for coming, Jess. I was carefully selected by Michael to be his successor. <laughs> So today we have a very exciting episode. We're going to talk a little bit about CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference. Uh, then we're going to talk about anti-protest laws and their prevalence around the nation by Republicans. And then we're going to talk about walking the line between calling out when people around you say unjust things, while also acknowledging the fact that the real enemies in today's society are the elites who are corrupting the system and not our fellow neighbors. So that's going to be a fun discussion. To which I say, ¿Por qué no los dos? <laughs> exactly. So before we get started with that fun little slate, let's hear the COVID numbers. Oh, yes, please. Do tell me them. I am eager. <laughs> that was sarcasm. In the world, we have 189,124,637 total cases and 4 million... 73,753 deaths. In the United States, we have 34,845,453 total cases and 623,789 deaths. Um, fortunately, though, there is some fairly decent vaccine numbers at this point. Uh, as it stands, if we're looking at the total population of the United States, 48% are fully vaccinated and 55.7% have had at least one dose. But one thing that's important to note is that that's the entire population. For a lot of younger people, they haven't had access to the vaccine yet. So for the people that are adults, the number is for at least one dose, 67.8%, which is fairly decent, and for fully vaccinated, 59.1%, so almost 60%. Did I see recently that people who are vaccinated who have gotten COVID have not died something? I, I feel like there was um an article recently about that. Yeah, uh, Fauci recently came out and said basically like almost 99% of the people that have died of COVID were unvaccinated. Yeah. So, so it, it really is making a major if difference. If you're still wondering, do I need the vaccine when the numbers are lowering? Get the vaccine, please. Yeah. If you can, if you have the enormous privilege of being able to get it, the United States has done a lot to make sure that there are um, plenty of doses. A lot of um, discussion has been around, you know, vaccine hoarding. But it's already here. It needs to be used. Get your vaccine. Uh, I know that we talk about vaccination every single week. It is really important. And I would just like to reiterate that one of the most effective ways of 
getting more people vaccinated is to use emotional appeals to people that you have personal relationships with. So please continue to do that. Hard on granny. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, So before we get started with our regularly scheduled program, I actually need to make a quick retraction. So not too long ago, we had Marjorie Taylor's Jewish space lasers green as our asshat for referring to the idea of masks, the forcing of masks on the floor of Congress as being basically like being a Jew in the Holocaust. And then later she apologized for it because she went to the the Holocaust Museum and she realized, oh my God. The Holocaust was a really big deal? Yeah, exactly. It was kind of bad. It's kind of a big deal. It was kind of terrible. And so she apologized. And on the pod, Michael and I, we gave her credit for that. Yeah. So I'd like to go ahead and retract that credit because she recently sent out a tweet in which she said, quote, Biden pushing a vaccine that is not FDA approved shows COVID is a political tool used to control people. People have a choice. They don't need your medical brown shirts showing up at their door ordering vaccinations. You can't force people to be a part of the human experiment. Can we throw the whole Marjorie Taylor Greene in the trash? <laughs> like, just throw the whole Marjorie Taylor Greene in the trash. We've been over this before. The Holocaust was bad. It was really bad. There's just something so particular to who she is and her identity to be that level of oblivious of this sort of like you know oh my god have you guys heard about that hitler guy someone should stop him (laughs) which is like a very old reference but that's where she is and then it and and i'm not even convinced if she understands that brown shirts are a reference to the holocaust that's actually a good point maybe she's not even smart enough to realize that but you know what (laughs) you have to be willfully choosing not to educate yourself on that you went through the freaking museum So yeah, just in case anybody thought that her apology demonstrated any sense of personal awareness or personal growth, like we actually tried to give her credit for, it's, it's not going to happen. She's crazy. She's an idiot. When Nathan says we, he means Michael and himself. I never gave her any credit for anything. That's a fair point. All right. So speaking of vaccinations, let's talk about CPAC. So as I said earlier, Uh, CPAC is the Conservative Political Action Conference, which Uh, was held this week. Yeah. And uh, vaccines, the idea of vaccines did make quite uh, an an appearance. They are fully platforming on anti-vax, right? Is Uh, that, that is, that is what we're doing now, Republicans, just fully embracing anti-vaxxing. Yep. Yep. So one of the most, one of the most appalling moments was this moment where there's this uh, conservative author named, um, let's see, Alex Berenson. I think that's how you say it. Who the fuck cares? Who the fuck cares? Fuck him. Um, Not literally, though. Don't reward that behavior. <laughs> he said, uh, quote, the government was hoping that they could sort of sucker 90% of the population into getting vaccinated. And it isn't happening. And when he said that, the audience applauded. So, first off, let's break apart what he said. Sucker 90% of the population into getting vaccinated. What end? Like, 
what, what do you think if, if, if the, if the vaccine is useless or whatever, what is the government getting out of it? Like, what oh, are they, what is the Don't suckery? you know Bill Gates is making all that sweet, sweet vaccine cash? And let's not, I mean, we, we could get into Bill Gates, but let's not get into Bill Gates. That's a whole sticky wicket. <laughs> and I'm not a big fan, but no, no, the vaccine is just pretty much to stop dying. That's yeah. that's what the vaccine is for. Says so on the tin. So this goes back to what uh, Jewish Space Lasers lady said. She was basically trying to make the argument against mandatory vaccines, which hasn't even been proposed, to which I would actually ask the question, why hasn't it? Yes, I'm a fan of mandated vaccines. Come at me, I'm fine about it. Like, I feel good about it. Vaccines should be mandated for anyone who can get them, which means that um, I definitely do believe they should be free, accessible, all of that. I think... If someone has a medical reason why they cannot take a vaccine, that's fine. That's understandable. That's all good. If there's a situation where there are children who are not getting vaccinated, I totally think the government should have the right to first try to educate and say, okay, we're going to educate you about what vaccines do, how your immune system works, go and get your child vaccinated and keep offering that until it gets to a point where they have to say, you have to vaccinate your child or you're guilty of child endangerment. I don't care if people disagree with that because it infringes on your freedom to raise your children how you want. You also can't slap your kids around, or at least you're not supposed to, because even though, yeah, that would be giving you total freedom to raise your children the way you want, we've also recognized that that is dangerous and wrong and really harmful and you're not just allowed to do that to people yeah i would say that there's definitely a lot of i mean there's some caveats that i would add to that uh, i don't know if you would add these same caveats but i would say that shoot um if we're talking about children if it's a life-threatening disease then i would definitely say that it should be mandated if we're talking about adults i would say if it's life-threatening and communicable then it should then we you know, we can talk about. So mandates. I'm just curious if it's, if it's not communicable, though, I, I don't think that it should be. I'm mandated. curious. What do you think is a vaccine that we have that isn't life threatening? Like the that the disease is not life threatening. Well, I'd say like the flu shot. I mean, um, some people, well, <laughs> I on, beg to on, differ. On, Lots of children die from the flu, my man. True. Like lots. True. And if you want to see data on this as a side note, if you want to see data on this, look at how the last year flu deaths were way 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 down and it was all because people had to wear masks when they were out in public and they weren't going out in public as often and you know we were already dealing with the horror that is covid so that didn't like even things out but if you want to see how much of an impact there is look at that i would say that there needs to be a set mortality rate for for a specific disease before we can talk about mandates because it's definitely it's it is a lot of government reach. And of course, you know, when it comes to protecting yourself or, protect, or protecting children or protecting uh, other people from yourself, um, it's I'm a lot more comfortable having that conversation. But but let's let's focus specifically on covid for now. Mm -hmm. All right. <laughs> um, uh huh. We've we've had this discussion before. Off, no, it's off okay. The pod before. <laughs> you want to take this outside? <laughs> so let, let's focus specifically on COVID right now, though. So a lot of Republicans in a lot of states, and we talked a little bit about this last week, 
have been specifically trying to pass laws that not only prohibit vaccine mandates in local governments, but also in businesses, which I would say is kind of just... Isn't that infringing on a business's rights? <gasps> exactly. Oh, exactly. the audacity. And here's the thing. This has been an ongoing thing. Yeah, You're, well, you've always been expected for most, I mean, maybe not all businesses, but yeah. Yeah. Well, and as it stands, right now, I would argue that a lot of the actions that Republicans are trying to take against mandatory vaccines are just political theater because they know that their constituency has a large block that are just completely against any type of vaccine. In fact, there was um, in uh, in June, there was a poll that came out that basically said that 30% of Republicans say they just won't get vaccinated. Like they absolutely will not get vaccinated. Oh. Um, that's a pretty large block. That voting block is often the loudest. I mean, and even outside of that voting block, there will be a lot, there are a lot of people that are just you know, they're not sure. Well, they're, they're at the, they're they're at the, the point that, Well, they're, they're skeptical. Yeah, those are just, that 30% is just the staunchest. So the thing, and, and, and we talked about that stat earlier where um, approximately 99% of the people that have died of COVID have di didn't, weren't vaccinated. So that's that's 30% of Republicans that are just, refusing to to take this life saving vaccination just because people at 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 CPAC people at you know uh, people at Fox News I mean not even Donald Trump Donald Trump encouraged people to get the vaccine but but other people are they're 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 spreading this crazy misinformation and I mean I just find it ridiculous that myself and 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 Jess as as leftists we seem to care about the well-being of Republicans more than the people that are supposed to represent the Republicans. Yes, well, you know, in my defense, I'm related to some of them. I, you know, <laughs> it, what can I say? It was an accident of birth. <laughs> um, another thing that happened, and this is something that I definitely want to get your thoughts on, Jess. Oh, okay. Was uh, the appearance of Caitlyn Jenner. So as some of you might yeah. know, uh, Caitlyn Jenner... Caitlyn Jenner, formerly married to Kris Jenner. Yeah, I, I don't follow celebrity news. Well, you know, it's all that the Kardashian bubble. I mean, obviously, Caitlyn's not a Kardashian, but was in she was in their sphere for a time period. Okay. Well, anyways, so she has been running for uh, the governor of California. Now, I have a thousand criticisms of Caitlyn Jenner. Like oh, only a thousand. <laughs> like like when she first announced, she she didn't have any policies. Like she didn't say any reason why she was running. She basically made it sound like oh well I I guess we'll just figure that out later. I'm just running because me. And uh, I hate it when poli when anybody in politics does that. Yes, right? who does that remind you of? <laughs> uh, who indeed? Um, so look, I have nothing. I have no defense of Caitlyn Jenner in terms of politics, in, ter in terms of her, her politi political ideas, to the extent that she has any. But so, so while she was at the uh, at CPAC, she was harassed by some of the attendees. She was she was dead named. Uh, there's actually a video that went online 
um, in which uh, some heckler shouted, hey, Bruce, dead naming her, um, what do you think about the stuff they're teaching in schools regarding LGBTQ? Uh, and then another, then sh she keeps walking. And then um, he followed up by saying, um, about Jesus Christ, Bruce, don't forget about Jesus. Yeah, so... Um, and then other people called her a sick freak while she was uh, while she was at the hotel. I mean... So that is, if anything, just reinforcing how um, identity does matter. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I hear a lot of conservatives especially saying, I can't believe that you would get so wrapped up in politics and you would let that isolate you from... Um, friends and family members but what they fail to grasp is that some of their ideologies that they live their lives by are either exclusionary or downright hostile to an identity or you, yeah. that you can occupy so caitlin jenner who is a conservative who is hoping presumably to um, carry forward conservative values, maybe not all of them, but probably a lot yeah. and has a lot of name recognition and probably could get a lot of people behind her is still going to be horribly abused within her own party yeah. because conservatives do not actually give a fuck if they tell you that they're super mature and they can have friendships with people who have different political views it's just those other people who can't handle it that's not true i'm not gonna eat shit from my quote-unquote friend and then thank them for it afterwards yeah and i guess one one point that i was thinking when i read about this was what did she fucking expect i mean you went to cpac she, okay, but see, she, like many people thought, but surely not me, I am the same, I'm on the same side, which is not always untrue, right? Like, we all know those conservative people who will run their mouths off about, say, like, undocumented immigrants, but they have people in their community that they care about who might be undocumented, or like, you know... There are different categories that people fit into. So there are a lot of people who are like, oh, no, not you. I'm talking about the other people. And then there are the more, um, like Nathan said, probably that 30% that are just like downright ride or die. I don't care what I do or what I compromise as long as I stay on what I think is my moral truth. And you you can't discount it because as 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 viciously or as viscerally as you have a reaction to hearing this where you're like, oh, if I heard someone dead name Caitlyn Jenner, I would clap back and say, okay, it's Caitlyn. Shut your fucking mouth. Yeah. As much as you would hear that and feel appalled, that's how they feel. Yeah. And that doesn't make it right. Doesn't mean just because they have the same reaction, it's right. Yeah. It just is that they are very feelings motivated and less logic and um fact and research motivated yeah. which means that they think that feelings equal truth and therefore they're standing in their truth and instead what they're standing is in an, is a ginormous puddle of weird gross feelings yeah i, th I think that's absolutely right also uh uh caitlin had a interesting defender someone that i never like who occasionally has stepped outside the uh, conservative bubble 
and expressed views that kind of fell outside the, the normal con- conservative. Was it Tommy Lauren? It was Tommy Lauren. How oh. did you know? I saw her picture on your laptop. <laughs> <laughs> I was yeah. going to come up with some bullshit answer, but that's it. Yeah. So Tommy Lauren actually defended, to miss defended that orange Caitlin, skin and uh, that bright to her blonde credit. hair. Now, you're probably going to laugh at the last part of this defense, Jess. Oh, but, will I or will I be upset? But before, before, before we laugh at that, I do just want to give credit where credit is due. You know, you regretted this last time. <laughs> so Tommy Lauren tweeted, quote, hearing how some in quotation marks conservatives treated Caitlyn Jenner at CPAC makes makes my blood boil. There's no room for your hate in the America first movement. We believe in freedom and we believe in limited government. The way she chooses to live her life harms you in no way. So mm. I, I I do like the way that she did kind of reframe it as a, you know, as a potential conservative argument. Um, so but at the, the same thing, time, though. there's no room for your hate in the America first movement. I'm sorry. That's what I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, honey. You're confused about what group you're in. Okay. The America first movement, which was, I guess you could argue was started by Donald Trump. Ugh. He's the guy that banned trans people from the military yeah like so so tommy, what the fuck tommy lauren let's talk about the last bit of that because i actually do have a problem with this attitude that a lot of maybe sort of more middling conservatives will take which is the well if you want to be trans that's your business i don't have a problem with it because here's the thing yes you do you do because you only hear them say that as a response to encountering like trans people or queer people or um, you know anybody else who has a quote-unquote lifestyle they don't agree with they don't they don't actually mean I don't really have a problem with it and I'm so happy for you what they mean is I'm saying I don't have a problem with it and there's this unspoken but that's kind of hanging behind it and and I know that in the tweet, it's coming across as what she's doing is not harming you in any way. And perhaps if I could completely compartmentalize um, the tweet and Tommy Lauren and kind of put them in separate boxes, I might be a little bit more forgiving. But I really get tired of that attitude that's like a, oh, no, I've got no problem with it. But... I also think you shouldn't have rights. You shouldn't have access to even like a safe place to go to the bathroom. I mean, how many times did Tommy Lauren bitch about, oh my God, can you believe they're, I can't do her voice. Never mind. I do still think that it's worth giving credit where it's due. Um, for one, just for one thing, for the sake of not punishing the dog that comes home. I'll give her credit when she retracts what she says and has an actual open on honest apology where she acknowledges she was being a cunt. Okay. Fair enough. (laughs) Um, Let's move along. All right. So another thing that was talked about, which this should be unsurprising to anybody is um, the big lie that the election was stolen from Donald Trump and the subsequent uh, January 6th riot. Uh, oh, one of the, one of the common things that would happen, and, and 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 this is actually something that that Trump talked about in an interview um, before his appearance at CPAC. Who 
who's giving him interviews? Stop it. Fox News, of course. Oh, fucking course. Yeah, if you... Never mind. I'm not going to say what I was thinking. So basically, what they're saying, what, what he was saying, he's, he's gotten to the point where he's saying that they were good people. They were, mm. they were peaceful protesters. Um, <laughs> and they were just trying to stand They peacefully up for murdered somebody. Yeah, they peacefully murdered somebody. Um, they, they, they broke windows. They broke into the Capitol. They committed treason. Yeah, but, but, but it was definitely peaceful. The, the, I still the talking, think they peacefully murdered someone. Just the talking point it. that they keep coming back to is a, a sort of red herring argument where they will say, well, they were unarmed, which means it was peaceful. Here's, here's a few problems. Number one, when they say that they were unarmed, what's true is that there were no guns that were recovered. Now, there were some people that had guns, but yeah, there were no say, guns that weren't were recovered. There video coverage of this? Number two, weapons that were recovered were things like baseball bats, tasers, and a fucking pipe bomb. Yes, those would be weapons. And number three, even if they weren't armed, they were still being violent. They were still violently storming the Capitol, which again... They were armed. And it's again, a complete red herring beat argument. someone to death. Am I correct? Yeah, Is that they the beat detail? someone to death. They beat, they someone, beat to death. someone to death. Can you just let that sink in? That's a vicious, absolutely horrifying. Like death is horrifying in, yeah. in its own special way in all forms. But beating someone to death is it's it's really characteristic of an out of control, violent mob. That's yeah. what they were. Stop trying to pretend like they were doing it for their rights. They were throwing a temper tantrum because they didn't get the guy they wanted elected. And instead of just going home and like drinking a thousand Bud Lights while you bitch with your bros about how, you know, it's such a shame what this country's gone to with their woke PC bullshit, they decided to go to a Capitol building, to the Capitol building, which is defended by police officers and other security and threaten the the election the rightfully elect um the rightful election process yeah, threaten the life of the speaker of the house and the if, fucking vice president if that is not the epitome of fragile egos i don't know what is yeah it's absolutely this unevolved bullshit thing and I don't say that to insult children because I actually think children are a lot better, a lot better at managing their disappointments than these fucking assholes. Yeah. So if anybody thought that in the post-Trump era that the Republican Party would suddenly find their minds again, I mean, here we saw the spreading of several dangerous conspiracy theories the conspiracy theory that Trump won the election, which he didn't. The conspiracy theory that I don't even I don't even know what the conspiracy theory about the vaccine is at this point. There have been so many stupid ones. All you need to do is watch CPAC and you know that the post-Trump Republican Party ain't getting any saner. So can I just say I actually have beef with the Democratic establishment, which is, I'm sure, shocking to my <laughs> husband of several years. But um I think with this kind of vicious egotism and nationalism, you cannot stomp it out by 
giving it a platform and giving it the appearance of credibility. And that is exactly what has happened in media, in, um, you know, just in, in how things have been conducted in our legislative process. You know, the way that Democrats have just kind of said, oh, we don't want to, we don't want to scare them off. We have to, we have to be careful. Otherwise they'll call a socialist newsflash. You could go out there wearing an I heart capitalism shirt while you like, you know, try to avoid paying taxes and I don't know, shoot an IRS agent in the face and they would still call you a socialist commie. Yeah. They were, they were, yeah, they were calling the democratic party a bunch of Marxists. And oh, I wish I do. I truly do. <laughs> it's not true. Oh, maybe one day from their lips to a deity I don't believe in. But <laughs> my point is they they've emboldened them. Um, and, you know, you can break it down to a lot of things. I know there was a lot of criticism of mainstream media for giving Trump a free free advertising before the election. And Trump has always been a symptom and not the root cause. You know, what are some of the causes of this exact person? It's the lack of funding in our education system. It's the lack of accuracy in our education system. You know, it's interesting how the United States has a really funny, fuzzy memory about some of our atrocities. It's the lack of acknowledgement of our crises. You know, it's... A lot of different things compounding on top of each other to create this perfect storm that gives you someone who is so willing to stake everything. I mean, there is a lot of risk involved in this action. You're you're going to a Capitol building and you're going to storm it? What did you think was going to happen? Now, of course, most of them will never face a consequence in their life. And maybe they thought that. But still, there was... There's a lot that had to go into making that type of person. And it didn't just come from Donald Trump, okay? He's not that special. Stop telling him he's that special. When he was about to be elected, Donald Trump, if he had, you know, if he had failed, if he had, like, just keeled over one day because he sat on a hot dog and it exploded under his ass, then maybe you would have had um, an ability to cut this off at its knees, this movement, but he became a symbol. He is not the be-all, end-all. If Donald Trump is not um, able to run in 2024, someone else will, and they will have the full support of these people. And if you can't figure that out, and if you can't try to cut off some of these causes, then you are going to see it repeat itself over and over and over again until there's nothing left. And now it's time for one of our more lighthearted segments, Tips for Good. So, Jess, why do we do Tips for Good every week? I think we do Tips for Good because I have to tell you something. There's some whores in this house. Oh, God. There's some whores in this house. <laughs> There's some whores in this house. <laughs> Certified freak. Seven days a week. What ass pussy? <laughs> well, I mean, I would say that that really does make the world a better place. I think so. I love that. <laughs> Which is also why we do tips for good. Yeah, <laughs> just the tip. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. 
<laughs> we're 12. Um, I'm not. I'm, I'm an adult human. Nathan, could you tell me what the tip is? So this week's tips for good is clean up after your dog. So, we mean their shit. Clean up after their shit. I mean, I guess if they puke outside in a communal space, do yeah. that too. So the reason why I wanted to bring this up. So if you if you live in a place that is communal and the place that you walk your dog is communal. Let us define this. This means a park. This means if you're walking your dog in your neighborhood. This means if you live in an apartment complex. This means if you are walking in a rest area. If it is not a rural area where you own all the acreage, it's a communal space. Or if it's like the suburbs and like it's fenced in. That's you what know, I mean, that's 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 your own choice. But like but like if if it is a communal space as as just defined it, please clean up after your dog. And the reason why we're, we're we're talking about this, why we're emphasizing this, is not just because poop on the ground is an eyesore. It can be a public health crisis. Parasites, or, y'all. Parasites. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of you might not know this, but tapeworms can round actually, worm. you know, roundworms, they can burrow them. The, the eggs can last it can be preserved in the soil for like six months. Let me help this by giving an extremely graphic description so that everyone understands why they need to pick this up immediately. So if you have, say, a mature tapeworm inside feces, what happens is that it kind of like dries out. You'll see segments kind of dries out in the heat and the sun. And then once it's dry, it burst open and explodes a bunch of eggs and they as nathan said kind of burrow down in the blades of the grass and because they're not getting like baked in the sun and it's not cold enough they can survive for a long time and then things happen like you walk your dog and then you take your dog back to your apartment and you may pick up after your dog but then you take your dog back to your apartment and it walks all over your floor or on your bed and then even let's take it a step further and let's say your you know seven month old is crawling around all over the floor Mm, and enjoying putting their hands in their mouth boom there's your transfer. It's yep. kind of like COVID. You have to think about things that you didn't think about before. Yep. One one dog with a tapeworm could potentially infect an entire neighborhood. So And not everybody deworms their dogs as often. It helps to pick up the poop immediately. And you might not know that there are whether or not there are worms in the poop. Yep. So, you know, it's just make sure that you, you think about others when it comes to your dog. You know, we, we, we love, we all love our dogs. We want to make sure they're safe. You know, make sure that you extend that to other people's dogs and try to keep themselves by cleaning up after them. And frankly, if you're going to have a dog, this is one of those things that counts as care. Yep. Yes. We all have different <clears throat> levels of what we can provide, but as a side note, Many of these places where people don't pick dog crap up are the places that have bags and poop receptacles every hundred feet. Come on. And that's tips for good. Okay, so in our next segment, we are going to talk about anti-protest laws. Hit me. So, Jess... Naturally, because, of course, the Republican Party is the party of free speech, because that's what I keep hearing them say. I assume that when we say anti-protest laws, it's got to be those bastard Democrats 
in all states. They're passing a bunch of uh, laws infringing on people's free speech rights. Is that correct? You know what they say when you assume you make an ass out of you. Yeah. And uh, you know what you know what they say about anti-protest laws. They that make, we should protest them? They make a fascism out of democracy. They they do. <laughs> okay. Okay, that was pretty bad. Let's get that started. No, let's get it going. I believe in you and I support you. <laughs> okay. So um, eight states have passed laws cracking down on protest activity since the Black Lives Matter protests have erupted in the United States last summer. Uh, this is according to the Pew Research Center. And similar bills are pending in 21 states. Yeah. Um, I just I just would want to say from the bottom of my heart to any person who supports these measures, I hear you, I see you, and fuck all the way off. <laughs> well, just go into a hole somewhere, sit there, and think about what you've done, and you can't come out until you've figured out the right thing to do, which is to stop this shit. Well, let's go ahead and talk about some of the provisions that are being offered that are being discussed. Wait, so, wait. Is this going to make me mad? Probably. Oh. So one of the main things that uh, is probably like on the surface less controversial, although I think it is still important to, to lay out why it's unnecessary, is laws making it... Uh, is, is laws increasing penalties for property damage or blocking traffic or things like that. There always needs to be laws about property damage, you know, because we want to make sure that people's personal property are not being infringed upon by other people. Those laws already exist. They do. And you know what? It, I, I truly do feel for people who have their property damaged during a protest. Yeah. That's really rough. I really hope that, you know, your insurance comes through well. Everything gets taken care of in a timely manner. It it also matters why those people are protesting. Yeah. So when people get together to protest the murder yeah. of a lot of black and brown people by the government, and then in that protest property gets damaged i just don't care comparatively yeah. i don't care no property in the whole world is worth a single person's life i mean i would say that you can care about both but if you're more outraged by like someone's shop window being broken than you are by an unarmed black person being killed by the police you got some fucked up priorities and again, the, the point of this, the point of making these laws is not necessarily to protect the property. It's not necessarily to, you know, uh, to um, to prevent violence. Again, it's all to of this punish stuff, protesting. Yeah, it's to punish protesting. Because it's to deter protesting because all of this stuff is already illegal. Aren't there some laws, or or maybe you're bringing this up, but, but um, either proposed or maybe on books in some areas where if... If property damage occurs during a protest, every single person 
can be charged. I am. Which is utter crap. Yeah, I'm How actually... many times? Wait, wait. Isn't that the um, Republican defense whenever they have like white supremacists do like um, a protest where they damage things? They're like, no, it was Antifa. It wasn't us. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought that up because uh, one of the most draconian laws was proposed by uh, our favorite governor, uh, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, who, by the way, uh, if Trump doesn't run in the 2024 primary, uh, Ron DeSantis is going to be the next Republican nominee. Hear me now, quote me later. Ron DeSantis, eat a train. So he passed a law that... um, So basically, the way this law works, at least one of the provisions of it, is basically that if you are involved in a protest that turns violent. So the I like the the language of the law basically makes it seem like they're trying to prevent people from encouraging it, but it's broad enough to where that could very easily be in, interpreted as just being in the same protest. So so say right. you're, what you're, is involved? Yeah, say you're say you're doing a march. Am I passing out flyers? Street. Am I registering voters? And Somebody, not you, kicks over a trash can. You could be arrested for that and charged with a felony. And also, they made it so that if the crowd has more than 23 people in it, it's an even worse felony and you could be punished with up to 15 years in jail for that. How fucking draconian is that? It's not just draconian. It's downright, I mean, it's downright fascist. Yeah. And it's also something that conservatives have never stuck by. Let us go back to Charlottesville, shall we? When a white supremacist drove a car into a crowd of humans murdering one. Yeah. And the president of the time said the president of the Republican party who is backed very fervently by these same conservatives said, well, sometimes that happens. You have some bad actors. There were fine people on both sides. We've heard that. So, and again, as I've said, the Republicans use a lot of blame language. Anytime there's been property damage and anyone tries to pin them on it by saying it was secretly Antifa. You can tell it was secretly Antifa And it's most of the time they're lying. But if that were the case, if let's say someone wants to, you know, cause conservatives who are protesting to be arrested. And I'm not saying I'm not someone, but if someone wanted to, they could go up there and cause some property damage. And would everyone in the group be arrested? Because I just don't think that that would happen. We've already seen that happen. Hello, the January 6th. insurrection yeah we Um, know what happens when conservatives do that um, i'm glad you brought up uh, charlottesville because uh you know that that white nationalist that uh drove into a crowd of protesters under this law he would have immunity so this law actually grants civil legal immunity to people who drive through protesters yes because so what's interesting too is again when you look at the people who argue about blocking the road protest okay so so for instance if you've ever if you don't know this the reason that you would block a road during a protest is because it's meant to infuriate people 
Because if you're protesting quietly on the sidewalks and you're not being too rowdy and you're not causing any stop or anything like that, people aren't paying attention. That's yeah. the way it is. They're, it's very purposeful to block the traffic so that people can feel impotent and like they're stuck. And like no matter what they do, they can't just fucking go forward. Almost like how people who are protesting feel. And yeah. so when you sit and a lot of the people who are mostly conservatives say, well, you still shouldn't block that off. Think of the people waiting on an ambulance to get through. Yeah. Which is a thing that they pull out and they say, okay, that's happening. I'm not really sure that that's the, the, the landmark argument that they think it is. But if you really care so much about human life that you value it to the extent where you say no one should have to wait even a minute longer if they're in danger and they're in an ambulance, then how on earth can you also support something like it's okay to run over pedestrians, their yeah. free game. This is not Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. Look, you know, if, if I was driving to work and I, I was blocked by protesters, would I be pissed off? Of course I'd be pissed off. But here's the thing. So this is terrorism. Like, let, let's, let's be real. So wait, the, clarify the, what you're saying is terrorism. The, 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 this bill Okay, thank you. Is allowing terrorism. <laughs> I thought that's what you meant, but I, mean, I just wanted to clarify. I mean, the definition of the word terrorism is violence against a civilian population for a political reason. Driving into protesters is terrorism. It is violence against a civilian population for a political reason. Ron DeSantis is make, is make signed a law granting civil legal immunity for driving into protesters, blocking a road, and, like, th that's legislating terrorism. Like, how is that, like, how is no one pointing that out? Okay, but you say that, but that was occurring, I mean, I guess, that, that was already occurring to an extent during, like, Black Lives Matter protests, you know, throwing tear gas yeah hitting people with rubber bullets yeah, absolutely. um kettling them beating the crap out of them all of those are terrorist actions and they are sort of legislated because they're allowed to use these practices no one's holding them accountable we have this as an issue this is a continual issue in our country and it won't stop until someone forces that to like that like that's already the precedent set yeah you know it's, it's so interesting how many people buy into the you know the the importance of the sort of the creation um story of the united states as we know it of oh you know get out there and protest some shit what do you think the boston tea party was i know that people have made this point a lot but just so you're clear that person who is a tea partyist, you know, those people who named their party after the Boston Tea Party, 
the thing about the Boston Tea Party, if you don't know, quick rundown, tea was extremely expensive to send, like extraordinarily expensive. It was a luxury item. Think of it as like an entire ship full of Teslas, okay? And then think of a bunch of pissy, you know, colonists who were like, I am so freaking tired of you not listening to me and you always taxing me for your stupid wars that I don't want a part of. I'm going to go over there and I'm going to drive each and every one of your Teslas off of the ship into the ocean. How do you like that tea? And that's what it was. It was property damage. It was a big fuck you through property damage because it was, look, if you're going to make me feel this enraged and I'm impotent to like do anything, I'm going to make you feel enraged and impotent to do anything. Yeah. You're welcome, Tea Partyist. Now you understand. I'm sure you'll change your mind about your approach to protesting now. Yeah. And uh, it's not the only law of its kind. Um, in Oklahoma, uh, drivers who unintentionally hit protesters now have immunity. Oklahoma would. Um, so it's... The only good thing to come out of Oklahoma is the musical Oklahoma. <laughs> well, Did it come out of Oklahoma? Jury's still out on that one. I bet you that didn't. <laughs> Dre's still out on that one. Um, but the, and the issue is that more laws like this are on the way. I mean, for example, um, in, uh, Kansas and Montana, uh, there are laws that increase penalties for protesting near oil and gas pipelines and other infrastructures in Alabama, and this is according so to So basically, Pew. you can't protest oil and pipelines and other infrastructures. Yeah, apparently not. Uh, in Alabama, um, the law would allow cities where protesters call for the removal of a statue to control where it occurs and to charge them a fee in order to protest. Now, if only we had, and, and hear me out, Nathan, this is a wacky idea. If only we had like a... It's more, it's almost more than a law, like a right. Like this is something that you can't take away from somebody. Like it doesn't matter how you try to, to, um, to alienate them from this right. They have it. And it was to speak and protest, to assemble in, in, in a, in a a group. So it's like a freedom, but like you cannot take it away. Like it is unalienable and it's like, you are allowed to do this. And not only are you allowed it is something that nobody could even create a law saying you could because the understanding is that nobody could actually stop you. It's a human right. I just, I don't know why we don't have this already. It seems like something you would put like at the top of the list. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you were to, I don't know, like put an amendment to the constitution, it sounds like it, that might be the first amendment that you do, right? I mean, it's got to be right. Like, you know, I mean, the freedom to assembly, freedom that, of that, that's freedom to assembly. And then the second one is like free Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah, so it's, that sounds like crazy talk to me. I know. I know. OK, like, look, call me a leftist, radical, you know, crazy lady. I just okay. I just think I just think that that's the way I want my America. to be. Okay, I'm told that now it's time for the D-Bag Award. Nathan, what's a D-Bag Award? Well, Jess, I'm glad you asked. Uh, Today we are going to be doing a D-Bag Award, which uh, of course stands for Dershowitz Bag, named after Alan Dershowitz, 
Um, so the Dershowitz Bag Award is given to people that make an argument that is so fucking stupid and self-defeating that we just have to chastise it and laugh at it and talk about how fucking stupid the person is. So it, 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 it is, of course, named after Alan Dershowitz for that fateful time that he stood up and said that, of course, Donald Trump had to break the law in order to try to get dirt on Joe Biden because he believed that it was in the country's best interest for him to win the election. I mean, you know, when you believe it's in the country's best interest. Yeah. What are you going to do? Yep. So this week's D-Bag Award goes out to Lauren Boebert. Lauren Boebert, come Come on on down. down. I did it. I did the thing. (laughs) You did. Um, So Lauren Boebert has made our list today. Why, Nathan? Because she tweeted. Is it Bobbert? It's, no, it's Bobert. I'm going to call her Bobert. Okay. <laughs> so she made a tweet that was hilariously self-defeating. So she said, quote, I'm living the American dream. I came up from welfare, standing in line, waiting for government cheese to now running for Congress. Let's keep radical socialists out of government so that people can be empowered to lift themselves out of poverty rather than wait on government. Wow. I, I really hate when I'm waiting in line for government cheese and it allows me to survive to become an adult to represent that government and determine who gets that government cheese i i i just think that's not the way the system should work yeah so obviously obviously what should happen is that you should only be able to be part of the government if you like I don't know. You're like a descendant of a really important family. You know, like we would trace this through bloodlines because otherwise you'll just have people like pulling themselves up through poverty to the highest reaches of our society. And I don't think that's what the American dream is all about. Do you? Do you, America? (laughs) So we've heard this argument before and the logic that they're trying to use And that's a logic in quotation marks. Yeah, why are you saying logic? What you mean is... (laughs) What they're trying to say is basically, oh, well, the the reason why people in poverty are in poverty is because they're receiving things from the government. If we just took that away from them, then they could just... There's no telling what they could do. Look at me. I was living off the government, and now I'm not. They could die, and then they wouldn't be a problem at all. But, But here's the problem with that argument, all right? The point of welfare is to keep people alive. It's a socialist program, it's by the keep, way. It's to keep it's to give people the bare minimum they need to in order to survive. And usually it's temporary. I mean, unless we're talking about like so, disability, so- it's usually temporary to get you back onto your feet or to put you in a more financially stable place so that you can take care of yourself. So let me actually, because I do think this is an area where I know a little bit more than you at this point. Um, Hit me. Let me talk a little bit about these social welfare programs as somebody who studies them a little bit because I'm a social work student. So the American um, way is to be really impatient about people being on social welfare programs. They're is means testing, which is where you have to make a certain amount of money oftentimes in order to qualify for um, something. And um, it's not as low as you would think, you know, 
a lot of times someone who's making minimum wage makes way too much money to get something like Medicaid, even though they don't make enough money to actually afford insurance. It's not at all about the proportion of what can you afford. It's about what does the government think that you deserve based on what you're um, producing, your output. Um, and it can vary by state, but it's also usually extremely temporary. It's designed that way. It's basically designed to be really difficult to acquire and really easy to lose because that's how they want to run it. Often because politicians have put things in place to try to limit it and limit it and limit it because they believe, like Bobbert over here, that it will make someone less productive. But she, in and of herself, as Nathan has said, is actually disproving that statement by saying, here I was yeah. on social welfare programs and they helped me enough that I could become somebody of importance who could help actually form and shape the country. Yeah. She is refuting her own point and she doesn't realize it. Yeah. And a lot of the people who were against these social welfare programs are also on them and they think they deserve it. Okay. And they need it, but they wouldn't if they just didn't have to pay income tax or if the government would let the free market regulate itself, yeah. you will find there are a great many of these people who entirely rely on government cheese, as she puts it, who would be homeless or already are maybe, but who would not have food, who would not have these things that are essential to life. Yeah. Also, if you are truly if they against, didn't have this. if you are truly against welfare, if you want to try to limit the number of people on welfare, you know what you should advocate for? Raising the minimum wage. Yes. But so I do want to point out that Bobbert falls into this um, category and we have a name for it in politics. It's called fuck you got mine. <laughs> and and um, that's what she's saying in this tweet. Fuck you people, maybe other children like myself who want to come above where they are now in life. I got my lift up just so that I could push you down. She's like somebody climbing over um, a tree of people standing like feet on shoulders. And she's just like pushing people down as she gets up. Yeah. And that is the case for many people. Yeah. So a deep and hearty congratulations to Lauren Bobert for being our Dershowitz bag. Eat shit, Bobert. All right. So for our last segment, we're going to talk a little bit about the need to balance uh, not alienating potential natural allies on economic issues while still staying true to social principles. So one of the things that I like about the, the so there's there's this new show uh, on YouTube um, by uh, uh, Crystal Ball and Sagar. I, I don't remember his last name. Uh the show's called Breaking Points. And it's, you know, they, they used to be on the Hill. They used to be on uh, Rising. And they kind of made their own independent show. And one of the things that they kind of sell this show as is it's about, you know, helping Americans to, to stop hating each other 
and to start hating the people that are actually corrupting the system, the the billionaires, the elites, the people that are actually like the cause of a lot of their social problems. I think that's interesting. And I and I do actually in some ways really support that, that sort of remember who the true enemy is. Yeah. And I think that that is something I appeal to a lot. Like, especially I mentioned I have family members who are this deep into, like, the Trump um, conservative, Republican, Fox News, Breitbart, Ben Shapiro machine. And I, I do kind of, you know, every time they say something like, oh, my God, my medicine's not being covered anymore by my insurance. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I don't think this is right. I think everyone should have their medical needs covered at no cost. I think you deserve that. And I'm not saying it to like shove that down their throat. I'm saying it as an affirmation of this should not happen to you. You don't deserve this. This is wrong. Yeah. And they tend to shut down or they say, oh, yeah, I know what you're saying, but it can't be free. Yeah. And I think that's what becomes an issue because on that end, even if you're saying something that in any other instance, they probably would say, yes, me too. They can't because they can't let go of, I'm in this team, this is my team, and you're in your team, and never the twain shall meet. Yeah. So it's just really difficult for me to think of holding space for, remember who the true enemy is, and also reminding myself that, you know, no matter how much sense I'm making, I will never reach these people. Yeah. And I just want to read some important facts mm. kind of about some of the demographics of, uh, of Republican voters. Oh. So there is sometimes... Are they all 40-year-old white women in suburbia? <laughs> well, specifically economic demographics. Oh, yeah. So 36% of people that earn less than $15,000 a year are Republicans. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, that's less than minimum wage. That's like minimum wage part-time probably. And if you look at the geographic areas where Trump did well, you'll find that that, that totally checks, you know, West Virginia, um, Pennsylvania, Ohio, all of those places that are, you know, pretty well known to have some deep poverty issues. Um, there are other areas that have that too, but yeah. some poverty issues and also to have a lot of white voters too, because there are like poor white people are their own special breed of this fe- needing to feel superior, but also yeah. upset and angry that they're not making a lot of money and trying to find anyone to blame, but other wealthy white people that they aspire to be. Yeah. And yeah, 15,000 is significantly below average. Now, to be to be fair and to be clear, um, about 63% of those people are Democrats, but 36 is still a fairly large amount. And, and this does kind of emphasize the fact that, you know, I, I, look, I don't want to be like, one of those people that are saying, oh, all these Republicans, they're they're so stupid, they're voting against their own self-interest. Oh, I will. But but the fact of the matter is that oftentimes people that might be a little bit more poor, might be a lower socioeconomic status, that vote Republicans aren't voting for Republicans because of economic issues. In social fact, issues. Yeah. In, in, it, well, it's, yeah, it's usually based on social issues. It's usually based on culture war stuff. You know, it's it's based on abortion. You know, and, it's and based bathroom on bathroom bans and or, yeah, shit like that. You know, so um, when you cutting actually, education or 
So when you actually go through a lot of the major economic issues, you find that overwhelmingly the country is on the economic left. So for example, and I've used this, and I've talked about this before, think about the tax bill, the, the tax bill that, uh, or the, the tax law that Trump passed in 2017. When it had first been proposed, it had a 32% approval rating. 32%. That is abysmal. Well, let's look at uh, let's let look at $15 an hour minimum wage. So, it is true that for the most part there is there is a partisan divide on uh on support for the minimum wage. So, for example, uh 72% of Republicans oppose the minimum wage uh, oppose the sorry, raising the minimum wage specifically to $15 an hour. But let's break that down in terms of you know, in terms of socioeconomic status. So if we're talking about lower income Republicans, 36% of them support a $15 an hour minimum wage. That's almost half. Which is because they actually know what it's like to live on it. Um, And I would also say that those numbers don't tell the full story because one thing that I continuously saw surrounding this debate is people saying, if we raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour, the cost of living is just going to skyrocket and you're already struggling. And it's so difficult to make them understand the cost of living has already gone up and you haven't gotten a raise. You're, you know, ha- you have what, a like 19, I don't know, what is it? Like 1980, 1990 salary on a 2021 um, economy. You know, no real options here. Yeah, absolutely. And let's look at the issue of healthcare. If we're talking about Medicare for all, 28%, according to a morning consult poll, 28% of Republicans support Medicare for all. Now, yes, that is, you know, know, that does mean that 62% don't support it. But, but remember earlier when we talked about the poll, about um, the percentage of Republicans that weren't going to get a vaccine, 30%, that's still a huge chunk. And that chunk is extremely loud. So what if this 28% was just as loud about asking for Medicare for all? So this is again where I come at the, you know, establishment Democratic Party hard. Because if you're saying 28% of Republicans support this, we know that a lot of Democrats support it. Lot less now because a lot of establishment Democrats have turned on it and have um, made it a a um, a partisan issue within the party. I guess like maybe not a partisan, but that made it something where it's like you're trying to ruin the party by wanting this. Yeah. But if you're showing like here we have data that oh so we actually could have a majority of people who support it. And yet the Democratic establishment keeps saying we can't get it through because Republicans don't like it. That's not the reason, folks, because if they did it, guess what? Yeah, you can't. It's so much harder to take something like that away, as we've seen over and over again with the ACA. When if there had been a possible way to get the ACA repealed, guess what? Conservatives would have found a way. If the full the full amount of people who voted for Trump, all of the Trump voters had wanted the ACA repealed, it would have happened. Yeah. But they didn't because once it started, they realized I will lose the insurance that I rely on. Yeah. Before the ACA 
became something they had when they were in situations where they had medical conditions, pre-existing medical conditions, they had met lifetime maximum benefits, they still would have said, but I don't want the death panels and I'm scared because Obama's black. It doesn't matter though, because now here they were four years, well, probably like um, eight years or so, give or take, later, and they had had insurance that was covering them and it wasn't perfect, but you can't take that away because they already had it. And that's what needs to happen. And the yeah. Democratic establishment is just continuously not doing it. And at this point, I have no belief that it's because Republicans don't want it. It's entirely because their donors don't want it. Yeah. Vote them out, please. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you look at the poll for all voters, uh, 55%, which is actually it's pretty damn good, support it. And only 32% oppose. Um, but But... Let's even look at the the moderate Democratic proposal of a public option. 56% of Republicans support a public option. 56% of Republicans. It would be better than what we have. It's a majority. A majority of Republicans support a public option. So why the fuck doesn't a single Republican senator or House rep support a public option? I know why. I know why. I know why. Because beyond, I'm not just going to say donors. You think I would, but I'm not just going to say donors. Actually, the Republican Party relies on a lot of things. And one of the things they rely on is for the majority of their base to be desperate. Yeah. All the time. There is no, like, that's how you inspire extremism. How do you make sure that people are, like, do or die no matter what you do, no matter how crazy what your, um, you know, your representatives are saying Because they're in a situation that is so desperate that they are susceptible to this. Um, So it's a very predatory thing of if their, you know, constituency were well fed, if they were housed, if they had their health care needs met, if they had their basic income met, their daycare, their education, guess what? They wouldn't fall for the Republican line. They just wouldn't. Yeah. So the the thing is, even on a lot of the economic issues... In some cases, a majority of Republicans, but definitely a large chunk of Republicans in most cases are actually with Democrats and sometimes even with progressives. So this is where it gets a little bit difficult, though, because if I see a person, you know, who I'm friends with on Facebook or who I've known for a while, um, who I know for a fact is struggling with healthcare is struggling with being paid less than a living wage, then make a comment about how, um, you know, trans women are just confused guys or black lives matter is a terrorist organization. On one hand, it is important to never let that shit go unanswered. It is important to push back on that further marginalization But at the same time, we also have to acknowledge the fact that in a lot of cases, the reason why those people are talking about those issues is because that is the issue that those are the issues that Republicans, that Republican politicians try to use in order to maintain a constituency that in many ways disagrees with their economic agenda. All right. So if you are having 
your constituency talking about Mr. Potato Head or Dr. Seuss, if they're talking about that and thinking that Democrats are trying to take away Mr. Potato Head or Dr. Seuss or whatever they're the fuck. They're coming for your guns and your children's toys. If you have people who honestly think that, then, and, and if you have a Democratic Party that's fucking terrible at messaging and never, you know, won't take a stand or actually get good things done. That keeps saying, well, we're not coming for your guns and your children's toys, but we are coming for your children's toys and your guns. Like, if you keep having, if, if you keep having a weak-ass Democratic Party... And a Republican Party that shamelessly strawmans. Weak-ass Democratic Party. What a puh. <laughs> you're, you're just... This is going to continue. So I guess the question that I would have, and this is actually something that I'm, I'm not completely sure about, I want to discuss with Jess, is how do you balance that? How do you balance trying to maintain a natural ally, trying to, to hate the people that are actually corrupting the system, and, you know, not the people that are your neighbors that are only saying shit because, you know, a bunch of like, like the Fox News has very effective propaganda making them think that trans people are the cause of their problems, that black people, that gay people are the cause of their problems, that immigrants are the cause of their problems because of this really well-designed media apparatus. Like... How do you maintain the the need to push back at those at, at harmful comments at at um, at disgusting political viewpoints while also trying to ex- have empathy for people that are in a bad situation and their anger is being misdirected? So um, that is something that I think is. In some ways, it is diametrically opposed. I know that there are a lot of think pieces on this, and there are a lot of brilliant people who have some valuable things to say, and there are a lot of stupid people who have some nonsense to say. Um, And the thing is, is that it's a sort of continual process. It's kind of like, you know, how do you... How do you live with the existential dread that nothing matters and we're all just heading towards death? You don't. You do. You, you you think about it sometimes and you you gnaw away at it and you try to figure out what you should do and how you should combat that. And then you have these brief periods of time where you block it from your mind and you go through life and you just try to get done what you need to get done. And I feel like that's a little bit of the combination approach that you have to have where, you know, there's a part of you that does have to um, very carefully select issues uh, that you know that you can get people behind. For instance, take money out of politics. I yeah. know that's something people say all the time. Just do it. Just just freaking do it. We don't need, you know, several million dollars spent on TV spots to reach, um, you know, some voters in Texas who know what they're going to vote anyway. What we need is to have publicly funded elections. All of these things that we, all of these are measures that, People can probably guess from my yeah. politics um, that I would want, you know. Yeah. In that case, yes, you need politicians who are not afraid that they'll lose their job. Yeah. You need people who are like, I have an agenda. Here is my agenda. I have every reason to be transparent with you because if I get in office and there's not like a huge amount of money and, you know, that level of prestige that comes from being extremely wealthy 
um, and being able to make your 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 decisions at will without any accountability. If that reward isn't there, the people who run are going to be people who want to pursue their agenda. Yeah. One of the big barriers to getting money out of politics, and this kind of goes back to the, the, the larger conversation, is the Supreme Court, specifically Citizens United. Yes. Citizens United declared that um, money was speech and corporations are people. Therefore, corporations can spend as much money as they as they want to on super PACs. And that basically completely corrupted the entire political system and legalized bribery. Now, getting rid of that isn't going to solve all of the problems, but it's going to solve a major problem. The issue is that in order to overturn Citizens United, you have to have justices on the Supreme Court that agree with overturning Citizens United. That, that, that are going to overturn Citizens United. As it stands, there is a 6-3 conservative supermajority on the Supreme Court. And look, if you talk to the average Republican, overwhelmingly, they will say, yes, I agree, get money out of politics. But the problem is, the only way to do that is through the Supreme Court. And the type of justices that are going to continue to uphold Citizens United are also the same justices that they're, that that conservative voters are hoping are going to overturn abortion rights. And for most Republicans, if you ask them, would you prefer abortion to be taken away, to be criminalized, or would you prefer, um, you know, or would you prefer for money to be taken out of politics? Well, a lot of them are going to say abortion. That's going to be their main issue. So that kind of brings me to the second thing that I think you have to do sort of um, also and maybe not always at the same time, which is you have to be loud and you have to continuously push back. Because here's the thing. Um, as I mentioned, the establishment Democrat Party if you look at it charitably, they're a bunch of idiots running around trying to triangulate which what that which can never be triangulated. You know, if if you have um this level of disparity, you can't do a middle ground that still winds up with all of you in like a shitty situation. You have to say, I'm looking at the data, I'm looking at my voters, and I know what they want, and I also believe that this will you know better the lives of all these people and that that will make them see our way more and you have to just do it like you have to just you know basically grab dem establishment democrats by the collar and drag them over to you know the legislation you want and the actions you want and that is a thing that i constantly f feel frustration over is that being like a very um very left leftist and um i'm i'm barely calling the democrats leftist they're really not they're moderate right it's a whole thing but anyway um you know it's like the louder the sort of more progressive sector of the democrat party is of the democratic party is the more we get pushed down and said see you're the reason why we can't get anything done if you guys would just back us up we would do all these things that you want because we want them too and then we do we show up we vote for them we get them elected and then they don't do anything 
They yeah. say, oh, too bad. We can't erase student debt. I mean, yes, technically I have all the power to do that. I have all the need I can. We would find a way, but I can't do it. And, and it just repeats itself over and over again. And so I say you have to push back against not just the conservative person that you're never going to convince. You need to be talking to maybe your more moderate um, Democratic friends. You know, I know that that's a thing that happens a lot is you might not be able to convince someone who is a staunch Republican who is in it as a tribal person, but that tribalism works both ways. And if you are someone who votes Democrat, then you can say, I deserve a say in this. And do we agree about these issues? Okay, then put your money where your mouth is, you know, put up or shut up. So it, it sounds like what you're saying is basically like, even if a Republican does it like a Republican voter does agree with you on like minimum wage or whatever. Um, that the bigger focus should be more on pulling democratic voters further to the left than trying to convince like a Republican voter. Hey, you want this economic agenda vote for this person. And that gets implemented. Is that what you're saying? Basically, ever since the Clintons did um, a, an amazing job triangulating, Democrats have said, look at how successful this president was at triangulating and look at how successful that was for our party. Happened once, hasn't happened since. <laughs> we have been doing this for 30 years, give or take some time, trying to recreate that particular magic, even going so far as to try to elect to not or at least nominating the wife of that president that Democrats are like, God, he would have been perfect if not for that whole like sexual predator thing, um, which they did not see it as at the time. Anyway, you you've already proven that this triangulation method doesn't work. It works in that it keeps establishment Democrats in their jobs because they have continued to get their money from their donors who like that they keep things status quo. They like knowing what to expect. It's very easy to predict how the market will go. And you have a bunch of their base saying, but this is our only option and we could get more things through if only the the leftist would actually show up and vote. You know, it's funny because the establishment Democrat does to their own constituents and their own base what like, you know, sort of the the billionaire or the 1% do to America as a whole, which is they get you so focused on fighting over this tiny little sliver of the pie while they're feasting on the rest of it. Yeah. And that's what they do. So unless you're willing to like basically get in there, be loud and try to get your allies on your side. Remember who your true enemy is? Remember who your true ally is. Yeah. And it's not Nancy Pelosi. Your true ally is your grandma who loves Nancy Pelosi. But you say, ah, but don't you want me to have insurance, grandma? And then she finally realizes, oh, man, I, I care about you. I love you. And I do want you to have insurance and I can't really be okay with anyone who says that you don't deserve that or you don't need that. That's what you have to do. And they're a lot more likely to listen than the people who have completely committed to 
being a Republican because just as much as Republicans are tribalistic and you're on my team, this is my team, I follow my team, so are Democrats. So show up and say, hey, I vote Democrat. I'm part of this party, whether you like it or not. And you're going to show up and you're going to hear me and you're going to try to explain to me why you think my voice doesn't deserve to be heard. Hmm. And it's exhausting work and um, good luck to you because I've quite frequently get into arguments with my father-in-law <laughs> my beloved father-in-law who has also been on the pod as a, yes. as a co-host no he's, he's he's brilliant he's just wrong <laughs> about some things well he agrees with you on healthcare. um but a- anyways uh i think that's a good point i'm not sure if i'm ready to accept it yet because i really do think especially especially considering that you and I both live in a heavily Republican area and we plan on continuing to live in a heavily Republican area. I do think that there is some value in trying to coalition build with people that might be traditionally more conservative on some social issues, but acknowledge the need for economic reform by emphasizing those places in which we agree but not compromising on places that we disagree. Like to be clear, you know, I I I am not willing to compromise on you know on trans rights, on gay rights, on uh, on Black Lives Matter. I'm not willing to compromise on any of that shit. But I think it does make sense to try to have conversations with people in which you emphasize even people that you know it might be a long shot whether or not they would vote for someone that you agree with. It's important to try to coalition build on the places that you either do agree or can potentially get them to agree with you on. So there's a time and a place for that. The time is not now and the place is not here. You are trying to basically you're exhausting yourself swimming against the tide. And what you need is you need to find other people who are at least sort of in the same, I guess, rowing against the tide, but find other people who are in the same general boat as you and get them to go the same way that you are. And then you can try to overtake it. Then you'll have the power and the force behind it. Because again, what I keep saying is, and and I, I mean, Nathan and I have talked about this so many times, what happens all the time is that um, there's this gross cycle where there's a really gross Republican leader who keeps taking away rights, who keeps taking away um, social welfare programs, who keeps doing all of these things. And then Democrats go in and say, we have somebody, we've picked someone and we say, but, uh, you know, progressives say we don't like them. They're not for our policies. They're they're pretty moderate or right leaning. And the establishment Democrats say, you got to vote for them anyway, because that's our only option. You know, help us. You're, you're our only hope. And then we do, and then nothing gets done. And so the Republicans go back to their constituents and they say, are you still living in poverty? Are you still without adequate health care? Are you still needing food stamps? Are you still without a raise? Okay, if that is the case, then obviously the Democrats are not the answer. We're your only chance. Yeah, It's going to continue happening. And guess what? Nancy Pelosi and Amy Klobuchar and um, 
um, Joe Manchin and all of those, you know, very right leaning establishment Democrats are never going to get us anywhere close to the things that we need to accomplish to try to get Republicans to come on board. If you want to see Republicans look for more um, universal health care, get them to see how a public option works. I'll bet you'll raise the amount of people who like it. They may not at first, but you try to, you know, if they have to feel what it's like to have a different system where they actually get care, they're going to notice that. Okay. And with that, we are going to end our podcast with our highlights. So Jess, what was your highlight this week? It's been a rough week. <laughs> so what, what was the highlight? Oh, we got to see beloved friends of ours um, back where your parents are from. And we went to a fun little party and it was so nice and it was so fun and it was it was good. It was nice. Yeah. Um, my highlight this week is I've been enjoying working with my dad on some renovations of the old Aww. house, you know? We we've been we've had some been having some really good conversations. You love your dad. I do love my dad. It's 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 been fun. That's so okay. It's, I love your dad too. And uh, and there's some really needed renovations on the old house that uh, it's really nice to be a part of. And with that, thank you so much for listening to the Perspectrum, and you'll hear from us again next week. <laughs>